Good morning uh, once again, dear friends. I would like to ask you to turn uh, to, uh, to the book of Jonah and then someone to wake up Sabrina at the back there. I don't know what time she sleeps. <laughs> Sabrina, wake up. No sleeping in church, right? We will sleep at home, huh? That makes that that that, that gives us uh, a responsibility to sleep early, and not sleeping at all of watching television, right? Good. Jonah chapter one. Jonah chapter one. Today we are in verse seven uh, to ten. Jonah is a minor prophet, so it's in the Old Testament towards. Uh, the end of the Old Testament. Jonah chapter 1 verse 7 to 10. Let me read the word of God. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for the words this morning. And even as we spend this short time in your word, we pray that heaven itself will come down upon us and that we may not be distracted by thoughts of finding the quickest way out of this place or thoughts of hunger, or even thoughts of trouble, money, or people we owe. Heavenly Father, I want to ask that may this day be a life-changing day for someone. May this day, may this sermon be of use to anyone in here who is not a Christian, that they may repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ today. That it is not too late to repent and believe in the almighty Jesus and be saved from sin. Even the ones who are self-deceived and tell themselves that they are Christians, may they be convicted such that they return or they come to the Lord. And for the Christians, I pray for sanctification. I pray that Christians would come to the realization that lingering sin must be done. 
that they cannot remain the same, they cannot continue in the same place and continue on the same cycle. For destruction is the end. Hear this my cry because I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read to you an article or an excerpt of an article written by the Guardian newspaper of South Africa on Friday the 28th of August 2020 which reads a South African conservationist has been killed by lions he hand reared West Mathewson 69 years of age was walking two white lions on Wednesday when one of the animals attacked and killed him without warning his family said on Thursday the incident that took place on the premises of the family-owned Lion Tree Top Lodge in South Africa's, South Africa's northern Limpopo province and known as Uncle West, Matthewson had raised the lions since they were cubs and was used to interacting with them. And Matthewson's wife, Gil, 65 of years of age, was driving behind her husband when the lion attacked she tried her best to rescue her husband but was unable to the family attorney said this in a statement well friends this story is a good picture of what making sin a pet portrays sooner or later it will devour you and thus we see in the in the book of Jonah earlier that Jonah was sleeping in the bottom of the boat whether it was a sign of ignorance or of you know the feeling of safety as there was a storm caused by his disobedience we see that he was lingering in sin and we see the dramatic continuation of the story of Jonah from verses 7 to 10 where last time out we looked at the consequences of disobedience we saw that God sent Jonah to Nineveh Jonah paid to go to Tarshish he got on a boat God sent a storm and the people were panicking they even tried to remove uh, uh, remove their property off the boat to lighten the boat so as to uh, save themselves and in verse 6 we end with the words so the captain came and said to him what do you mean you sleeper arise Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So last time what was the consequences of sin? Today we'll look at... Sorry, last time what was the consequences of disobedience? Today we'll look at lingering in disobedience. Now, don't get lost. The word lingering is just... Lingering is someone who just stays, you know? If you look at, uh, I think it's Genesis uh, chapter 19, 
the Bible says uh, Lot lingered, right? He lingered. He was told to leave the, the place, but he lingered. He just stayed. So we see that we, we want to see that lingering in disobedience leaves one or causes number one desperation. Number two, we want to see that it evokes interrogation. And number three, it causes or calls for confession. So number one, it causes desperation. Number two, it, it, it evokes interrogation. And number three, it causes or evokes confession. Let's look at verse seven together as we look at lingering in disobedience. And they said to one another, so this is the, in the midst of the storm, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and they fell and the lot fell on Jonah. Friends, it would seem that calling out their gods did not work in calming the raging storms. So they resorted to something else, and this was to cast lots so as to find out who exactly the culprit was. Now, the casting of lots was a common form of divination in the ancient world. It's like... It's like rolling dice. Milati, let's roll dice and see, okay, if the dice falls on this way, this means that this is happening. That's what casting lot was. So they cast lots to, to, to try and discover what the will of the gods were. And this method of discerning God's will, sorry, discerning the will of God was true even to Israel. It wasn't forbidden. For the Lord our God rules even over lots. I hope you get that. Even when you try to do, God is sovereign over votes. He's sovereign over casting ballots. He's sovereign over voting in elders, deacons. The Bible confirms this sovereignty. Leviticus 16 verse 8 to 10. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other for a lot for um, Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the Lord fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the Lord fell for Azazel, Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness. So you see that lots were cast in ancient Israel. Acts chapter 1 verse 22 to 26, this is the New Testament. And they prayed, this was uh, when they were casting lots to replace Judas Iscariot. And they prayed and said, you Lord, who know the heart of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast the lots of them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. 
So friends, we see here that the casting of the Lord's show that lingering in sin as Jonah did can cause desperation. I mean, you, you, you see it, that these uh, pagans had uh, initially called Jonah to call out to his God. And then after that, nothing came of the answer. And so now they're saying, let us, they were desperate. Let us look for uh, 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 something else to do. Let us cast lots. Maybe the God can hear us. And we see that this was, it, it did cause desperation from the people who were associated with the prophet who was running away or the fugitive prophet. And it's true, isn't it? When someone continues to toy in sin or to toy with sin and continues in disobedience against God, despair starts to creep in. I want you to imagine with me for a minute, and I will use the example of a pastor because it's the safest example to use. Think of the most solid pastor you know. There is fruitfulness in his ministry. Everyone looks up to him as the most transparent person they know. Then the pastor starts entertaining sin. For example, they start to flirt with women. You'll be thinking maybe the pastor is supposed to look after the flock in the, in the church, but he's flirting. Hey, sweetie. Hey, darling. Every, every congregant. He doesn't bridle his desires. He lingers and continues in disobedience despite several warnings from God himself because God warns you when you're in sin. He tells you through his spirit, turn away, turn away, stop what you're doing. He lingers, he stays on the sin. Then he sleeps eventually with one of the ladies in the church. Let's say one of the elders' wives. What is the ripple effect? Number one, a man in confusion. A church in confusion. Families destroyed and the witness of Christ maligned. Yes, they can be forgiven, but things will never be the same again. And this is a warning, dear friends, that Jonah, even in the midst of a storm, continued on his quest to evade God. He thought he was safe, but not even hiding in the depths of the boat could save him. Within our desperation in lingering in sin, our communion with God, for those who are Christians, is spoiled. Psalm 66 verse 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not have listened. Oh, friends. If I had lingered in sin, and it's true that we as Christians, if we're given to sin, God does not listen to our prayers. The communion is cut 
prematurely. It's, a, it's almost as if you are, you are trying to force things. You can't read your Bible. You can't pray. You can't fellowship with other Christians. You want to go away as fast as possible from fellowship because you've been flirting with sin. It's obviously, it's obviously right and inevitable that a state of disobedience continued in a course of rebellion pursued should cut off the transgressing one from fellowship with his God. Jonah had fallen so far away from God, he did not. Sometimes we get into those seasons. Sometimes we think we're walking rightly with the Lord. And yet we've fallen so far, we don't even know it. But we know what we're doing. We know what we're doing. We see that at the end of verse 7, the inevitable happened. That though the, the Lord was cast by pagans, God exposed Jonah. God is sovereign over everything, friends, including exposing Jonah. Look at the end of verse 7. So they cast lots, and what happened? The Lord fell on Jonah. Yeah, the pagans, practicing what pagans do, because they don't know God. They said, let's roll the dice. And it fell on Jonah. What are the chances? And it is even true, friends, even as we apply, that God can use the most meager means to expose your sin, to expose your disobedience. He can use things that you think are not tangible. Oh, they'll never find out. Let me just do this. They'll never find out. I'm good. Harari is big anyway. Two million people. It's important for us to not linger in disobedience. And if you know, friends, that you are living in a secret sin, I call you today, turn away and turn to Christ before desperation kicks in and you're exposed. Number two, perhaps it's important that through your comfort in lingering, God brings about a sense of desperation. Sometimes, friends, when you're comfortable in sin, whatever sin it is, God must expose you so that you can be desperate and, and, and you can be, you know, so that you can see your need for a savior. And thirdly, if you're not a Christian and you're here and you know the state of your heart, if God doesn't bring about a storm in your life because of your unbelief, tremble. Because when you die in that state, there is no repentance in hell. There is no repentance in hell. God must bring the storm in your life. He must save you, kicking and screaming. But secondly, we see that lingering in sin calls for interrogation verse 8 then they say to him there's the interrogation 
Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? These were quick fire questions, friends. It's like someone uh, uh, pumping a, a machine gun into you. They, they gave him no chance. Where do you come from? Who are you? And I ask you this morning, have you ever been interrogated or asked questions when in disobedience? I've come to see, friends, in my short years in pastoral ministry, that when somebody is in sin, they don't like answering questions. Even if they do ask, answer questions, it is, ah, okay, okay, no, just, you know. So, brother... Let's say, for example, you were seen in the company of women of the night. No confession, nothing. Then somebody brought it to the, to the attention of the church. So, brother, where were you last night? Ah, no, 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 I was, I was out with friends. Yeah, we were having a good time, you know, partying. Oh, but I heard, we heard this I don't know, you know, I know actually, Pastor, those are uncomfortable questions. You're now, you know, you're now invading our lives. Uh, let, let's talk about something else. You know how they try to divert questions. Oh, have you ever asked one who is in sin what has been happening? Their whereabouts. Their favorite hanging out spots. Oh, let's go deeper. Who do you talk to in your phones? What is the content of your messages? Dear men, do you flirt with women who are not your wives? Do you even give them a, a chance, a, a hint that you're, you're trying to flirt with this woman? It can be even just, you know, Ah, you looked very nice in that sundress. Oh, somebody's wife. Somebody's wife. You can say you look nice, fair enough. Ah, you're dressed well. You're looking good. But there's their tones. And there are even inclinations that we do when we want to sin and we know it. There's a rush that is happening inside where you are, you are energized. Thus we see the consequences when the consequences of sin, the consequences of lingering disobedience explode. Interrogation follows. We see that the questions are four or five. Depending on the version of the Bible you're using or the way you have been taught English. But we see, number one, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. Number one, that's, that's, a, that, that's a question, although in the English standard version, there's no question mark. Number two, what is your occupation? This is what one man comments on what is your occupation. He says, this question they put to know whether he had any 
or was an idle man, or rather whether he was an honest and it was an honest and lawful employment, whether it was by fraud or violence, by thieving and stealing, he got his livelihood. So basically what they were asking is, Wavepi. It's like here in Zimbabwe, we are so superstitious. If you're in a bus and the bus crashes, and so this is what they were doing to Jonah. They were saying, what is your occupation? Are you a sangoma? Where did you steal where you left? Because on account of you, the boat is sinking. On account of you, there's a storm. And sometimes in the church we ask the same questions. Brother, what have you been doing to cause such a mess? When the ripple effect now comes to the fore and the, and the consequences of sin are seen, we start, ask, we start asking, what have you been doing? Why? We didn't know all along. We thought all was well. But, but what's going on? The second question, the third question they asked was, where do you come from? Uno Vagupi. Just in case. He had some sort of deity following. Remember these people believed in gods. So many gods. The gods of the, of the, of the water, of the sun. So they wanted to know, from where has this guy come from? They wanted to identify. And sometimes... When somebody is lingering in sin, we need to ask for identification to say, Brother, are you really, or sister, are you really a Christian? Are you really a Christian? Because you have, you're not even fighting sin. You continue to be in the same cycle. You continue to be in the same cycle. You continue to be in the same cycle. What is your country? Of what people are you? And we see that questions 3, 4, and 5 are joined together. As John Gill comments, questions, these questions seem to relate to the same things. What nation he was of and put by different persons who were eager to learn what countryman he was that they may know or might know who was the God he worshipped and guess at the crime which he had been guilty of. And it's interesting that these people did not throw Jonah out of the boat immediately. It's very important. When they found out that he was the one who was causing them to be assailed by a holy God, they did not plunge him into the sea immediately. It's a lesson for us. When someone is in sin, when someone's sin has been discovered, even in the church of God, interrogate before you act. You might hurt a hurting Christian. You might hurt someone who is battling 
and loving the Lord but struggling. Interrogate. It's not sinful. Listen to one commentator. He says they did not fall upon, upon him at once in an, an outrageous manner and throw him overboard as it might be thought such men would have done considering what they had suffered and lost by, by means of him. So friends, from a practical perspective, before we move on to the next point, the hardest person to interrogate is a person in disobedience. They are not really willing to answer the questions fully. But let's be reassured that if we linger in disobedience, we will be interrogated. We will be asked questions. When people see you not walking in a manner worthy, they'll say, what was he doing? Where was he? Why was he found to be there? What next for him or them? Sin is shameful, friends. Sin is shameful. Who kept them accountable? What are some of the questions that we ask? People will talk. And we see here, this is exactly what was happening. Say, man, your sin has caused a ripple effect. It has affected us. And friends, this is a reminder that any decision you make does not affect you only. It's got a ripple effect. Think before acting. <laughs> Think. Process what you're about to do. Say, how will this affect my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord? And Jonah, he's disobedient. He thought, ah, well, you know, I'll just flee from God and everything will be well. But look at the chaos. Look at the chaos. Number three, we see a premature confession. I call it a premature confession. It's not really, Jonah's confession was not out of conviction. It wasn't the fact that he was convicted. He was caught. Listen to the word of God. Verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven. Who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. And said to him, what is this that you have done? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Here he answers the other questions. What was his occupation? What was his business? He says he was one that feared the Lord, that served and worshipped him, and he was a prophet of the great God. We see as we dissect his confession that there are some true and untrue things of what he said. Let's zoom in. Number one, I am Hebrew. That's very true. That's a true confession. 
though forced, though solicited, it's a true confession. Number two, and I fear the Lord. True and not so true. Why? Because if he really feared the Lord, he wouldn't be here. But also we see that he doesn't answer the questions directly. He deflects them. On another hand, we must also be gracious to Jonah and be gracious to others and not be so critical because this is how we often confess. When, when somebody asks you, brother, what were you doing? The confession is just like, I don't know, Pastor Joe, you know, don't be too harsh, you know. It was just a, it was a small, it was a white lie. I just, it was a white lie. Just say it as it is. It's a lie, a damning lie. And by the way, you don't have to wait to be interrogated to confess. You don't have to. Don't wait, because Jonah's one was a last resort thing. He could have just confessed the moment he stepped into the boat. I am a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, and I am running away from God. So help me God. But he didn't. He waited for things to hit the fan, and then he confessed. But even in his confession, there were some true and untrue things, and he was hiding behind this. In fact, it would seem that his confession was so was more so to try to show himself to be righteous. I am a Hebrew, okay. So the pagans will say, Ooh, he's a Hebrew. Okay, okay, okay. And he fears God. So he's trying to sort of deflect the attention from the fact that he is in disobedience. He's running away from God. I wanted to convince her that, no, 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 don't, you see, don't judge me harshly because I fear God. <laughs> That's what we do sometimes, huh? when we sin. You've been caught in sexual immorality, brother. Don't judge me too harshly. I fear the Lord. Is that, is that what we say? <laughs> don't interrogate me too harshly. I fear the Lord. One commentator notes that by this description of God as the prophet designed to set him forth in his nature and works so as to distinguish him from the gods of the heathens who had only particular, particular parts of the universe assigned to them when his Jehovah was Lord of all but where was the prophet's fear and reverence of God when he fled from him? And disobeyed him. So even in his elevation of God above the gods of the pagans, he described God in an elaborate manner. That even the storm that we're in, he is the one that created it. His confession still did not make sense. And some of our confessions, when we are lingering in sin, are half-truths. They are mumbled. 
Yes, I was here, but mm, 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 mm. oh no, 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 no. Uh, we can't get into that right now. James chapter five verse sixteen. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Friends, let me stop here for those who are members of the church. Learn to confess to one another. Practice that. Practice that. So that even as you do so, you are being helped. So that you are helped and held above the surface before the great fall. Before you fall flat on your face, be in the habit of confessing to brothers and sisters in the Lord without shame and fear of being judged because they are your brothers and sisters. They love you. And if they are judging you, good. Good. Because you're supposed to flee from sin. That applies to, to me, the pastor, as well. We see in verse 10, towards the end, I'll read verse 10 again. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. Look at this. Some sins cause some some sins cause even pagans to tremble think about that some sins or some consequences of disobedience cause even pagans to tremble they were not trembling at the fact that Jonah said this is an almighty god they were saying you have got us into trouble not that they wanted God or loved him or exalted him. No, no, no. They just knew that God was dealing with him and them. They were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For the man knew. That he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now I won't get into when they told him, when he told them, or how they, they got this information because there are only two explanations. The explanation first, the first explanation is that maybe he told them when he first boarded the ship that he was going somewhere. But the most consistent one is here. At the end, that they put two and two together. He is a prophet of God fleeing his God. Friends, this leads us to the question. Did Jonah, even as he lingered in disobedience, did he have hope? And the answer is yes. He did. And we'll see, even as we go on in the book of Jonah, that God is his only hope. 
And it's so funny that he was running away from his only hope. And it's true even of us today, right? That we run away from our only hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who did not linger when he was sent to die on the cross. <laughs> we run away from Christ. We shun him. When, as we read earlier on, he willingly went to the cross. It was a definite decision to go to the cross and die for sinners who were meant to die there. And yet when the gospel is preached, when the gospel is brought to sinners to say, listen, brother or sister, you have sinned. I am not your only hope. The church is not your only hope. You need Christ. You need to be back to God. You need to be reconciled to God. And they say, no, 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 that cannot help me. We have no other answer for you. We have no other remedy. Psychology will not help you. Shrinks will not help you. Therapists will not help you. Your problem is sin. Your problem is in, not out. Your problem is your heart, not your circumstances. And thus, the only great physician, the only great redeemer I know, who can heal you of all your diseases and heal you of all your hypocrisy and cleanse and bring the ugly dirt, that, the, 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 the stench that remains within that no one can see, the desires, the, the, even the, the, the wishes that we have, the thoughts that we have towards other people, towards God himself. He is the only one. That can cleanse us from unrighteousness. And thank God that Jesus did not linger. He didn't put God to shame. That's why Christ is the greater Jonah. But we do, sadly, so many times we bring shame upon the name of Christ. Christians, Christians, Christians. Every day, even when you think no one knows, God knows. We bring shame upon his name. So many times. And, and, and friends, when we look at ourselves for salvation, and we try to get out of lingering sin in our own strength, we get into a mess like Jonah. Instead of going to Christ as our aid, we go away from Christ. Who is our all in all. Instead of going to Christ to say, Lord God, almighty Jesus, son of God, help me. Help me in my anger. Help me in my lying. Help me in my cheating. Help me in duping people. 
I'm not supposed to be duping people, but I'm duping people. Help me in my secret lusts. Weed out the pornography from my heart, from my very eyes. Rid me of the lust of the flesh, money, to, to be greedy, to want to, uh, uh, to want to amass wealth in an ungodly manner. Rid me of all these things, dear God. And for the Christian, for the non-Christian, their prayer should be, I just need to be reconciled to God. I haven't even started on sanctification yet. I haven't started. I need to be reconciled to a holy God. I want to finish by calling us all to Luke chapter 5 verse 29 to 32. And these are the words that I want to leave you with today, dear friend. If you remember anything today, if you forget everything that that has happened in this service, remember the words of Christ. Remember the words of Christ. One of the most encouraging passages in the Bible. Luke 5 verse 29 to 32. In fact, I'll start from verse 27 and finish as verse 32. I won't expand. Just read it. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why Jesus? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well, I have no... Sorry, those who are well. In other words, those who think they are well. The hypocrites need, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, those who know they have a spiritual deficiency, they are diseased in the heart. They need a heart transplant. Verse 32, listen to this. And I leave you with these words of Christ. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen.